Praise the Lord. Let's open our Bibles. I want to uh, carry on where we were at and uh, share with you. We're just talking about the tongue. Hey, the tongue. Stick it out. Let someone have a look at it. Very dangerous. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about taming the tongue. And uh, where we're going to is this. Let me just say where we're leading towards so we just know where we're going. And this is where we're heading towards. We're doing a series. We're in the church on being undercover or positioning ourselves under the authority of the Lord in order that we can have authority to speak and to begin to say words that release the power of God to flow. So what we're doing now is just looking at this area of the tongue, and I want to identify some of the diseases of the tongue, some of the ways we speak, and we often are not even aware of it, and they are totally counterproductive to us being able to advance the kingdom of God. And so we're just uh, over these two or three sessions, getting you aware of the power of the tongue, of the power that God has given to us to create with our tongue, and the impact of the words we speak. And uh, the Lord put something on my heart for today that uh, it, it really quite impacted me as I've thought about it and uh, dwelt on it, and I know it's going to impact you too. So let's just go back and just pick up where we were, and uh, we, were, we were sharing how God uh, had spoken out of that verse in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will work wonders among you. And God has been speaking about getting our lives in order so that we can come to another level in Him. And uh, so we're looking at the tongue. And in James chapter 3, it says this. In James chapter 3, it says now, verse 2, We all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. It's not bad. And uh, able to bridle the whole body. So if you can control your tongue, you can control every part of your life. Indeed, we put a bit in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn, uh, we turn the whole body. Look also at ships, although they're so large, they're driven by very fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires it to go. Even so, the tongue. So notice what it's telling here, that the tongue is like a bridle in a horse. If you can, if, if, I remember one time when Joy had a, had a go on a horse in Danny Burke. It was a great experience. And it was a, it was a spectacular experience because she couldn't keep her feet in the stirrups and didn't get the bridle in the horse's mouth properly. So the horse just got the bit between the teeth. And anyone who's ridden a horse knows if you haven't got the bridle in the right spot and put, so you can pull on the mouth, you can't stop it, you can't steer it, you just are in for a ride of your life. And Joy had the ride of her life. And she couldn't do anything because she had no power to get, to get the bridle into the back of the mouth to control the horse. So when you, if you want to steer a huge horse, you only got to get the bridle in the mouth. You control the mouth, you steer the horse. Same with a ship. You can control the rudder. You steer the big ship no matter how big it is. The rudder will determine its direction. So the Bible uses these two things, a bridle for a horse and a rudder for a ship. So the tongue for your life. Bridle for a horse, turns it. Tongue for a ship, turns it. So the tongue turns your life. You want to turn your life? Talk differently. Talk differently. You want to turn your life. And uh, so we, we want to pick up a few things. I want to just, just go back to where I was because I, there's something new I want to share today about the tongue. In Proverbs 18.21, the Bible says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So there are power in your words. Notice death and life are in the power of the tongue. So your tongue has power. It's not just some empty little thing. It's not like your hands or anything else. There is power in the words we speak 
to shape atmospheres. There's power in the words we speak to create an environment. There's power in the words we speak to build relationships. Our words have power. They have an ability. When you think of how God created, God created, He didn't create by waving His hand. When you read the Bible, it doesn't say that the Spirit of God was moving and God waved His hand. Poof! And then something happened. It says He spoke words. So creative creation or creativity and particularly creative miracles of God are all released by words. What you didn't pick up there was that I actually spoke creatively. I said to the pastor, when you step up on the lectern and read the Bible, you will not be able to stand. They didn't put it in the clip. But I spoke what I felt God showed me would happen. When we came into the meeting, I got a vision and saw seven walking sticks leaning against a wall, and I spoke out that today God is going to set seven people free off walking sticks. And I immediately, without any more in the meeting, just got everyone with a walking stick to come up. There were seven people. And so what you saw was an excerpt of seven people leaving their walking sticks behind. But you understand, a word had to be spoken when the presence of God was there. So words are very powerful. They affect our future. They affect our lives. Here's how important it is. In, uh, we saw last week in Joshua, when they were doing their first battle against Jericho, God, Joshua said, be silent, don't, mutter, don't utter a word for the six days. Because it would be so easy for them to undo the, the creative miracle God was about to do by speaking negatively and critically. If you imagine marching around a huge city for seven days, imagine what must have gone through people's minds about this military strategy. But they were forbidden to give utterance to any word. If you read in the New Testament, interesting. Now that was the beginning of the possession of God's promises. Now get this, in the New Testament, when God was about to birth Jesus, he, he raised up a forerunner, John the Baptist, and when the angel appeared to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, he didn't believe, and he was struck dumb. He wasn't able to speak a word negatively against what God was about to do. Now, these things are not in there just as a coincidence. It just happened to be that God just felt mean one day and struck him dumb. He realized that the Father had the power to speak words that could totally undo what God wanted to do. And so he had a zip lip. He couldn't speak until the day he wrote on a piece of paper, his name will be called John. And then immediately he could speak. See, so the Bible, there's so many examples. It's all through the Bible. You'll see this. But uh, I want to just get, have us be very aware. So uh, your ability to speak words is part of your creativity of God. So God's given us the ability we can reproduce life sexually, but we can also create things with words. And we have power to release things into being and build families, build relationships with words. So death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, you get this notice, it says death. Jesus in Mark eleven twenty one, I think it is, he spoke to a tree and the tree withered. Don't say... Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They do hurt, and they have power to change your life. The Bible says it very clearly. And so when Jesus spoke words, a tree withered and died. When, Elizabeth, when Mary spoke words, a baby in the womb leapt. Don't say words don't have power. Your words carry not just the words that you say, but the spirit that flows from within your heart. 
So the Bible says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whenever you speak, it's not just that you say words, but there's a content of your heart and spirit flows with the words. And John 6.63, Jesus said, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. So when Jesus speaks a word to us, it has spirit power in it and it imparts life and it can change your future. If you can hold on to the word and let it build in your life, it can change your whole future. Isn't it amazing? Most people wait for the miracles to happen when actually, have you, as soon as you've heard God, the miracle is there ready to walk into if you can agree and speak it and then start to act on it. So th this is a very powerful thing, very important for us to understand this, and particularly uh, so as I share with you some things today. Now, I do want to move to the positive ways of how we can actually speak our words to build, but I feel it's really important that we look at some of the years or recognize how negative we are and learn to begin to deal with this issue in our life and also in the people around us. So, um, in, so Jesus said, the words I speak, they're spirit. So words can release a spiritual atmosphere. Their words have a spiritual power in them. So words can shift an atmosphere. So angry words, for some reason, the whole atmosphere change becomes incredibly tense because demons are activated into that atmosphere. When we begin to, like for example, when we come in here, then we will begin to actually speak words and then sing words. And as we sing words, the atmosphere shifts and changes. See? Now, you were watching something and you were hearing something. If I had no sound on, you wouldn't have had much happen in here. But when you saw and heard, it started to affect you. And the same anointing that was in that video started to touch us here. But if we had no sound on, you wouldn't have felt a thing. Words. Words carry a spirit substance, a spirit content. And so when people speak to you, there's not just the words they utter with their mouth, but what is in their spirit flows with the words. And what you're left with is the impression that your spirit was touched by. So, so for example, if someone comes to you and they've got an offense with someone, no matter how nice they are, you'll feel the offense. And if you've got something in your own heart, their words will stir it up before you know you're talking and running someone down together. If someone's a carrier of gossip, Gossip we talked about was uh, one, of the, one of the misuses of the tongue where we're speaking about someone and uh, talking about them uh, in a negative way, uh, revealing their secrets, revealing how one. You begin to start to gossip. If gossip is in your heart, then someone starts gossiping, it'll stir the thing to come up in you. And before you know it, now the two of you are in agreement. Now there's a whole new dynamic of this gossip. It starts to infect. Uh, we talked about the different slander. Slander is... Where you talk about the, uh, some person's life and you run them down. The intent of slander is to run down their, their, their reputation or misrepresent them. So when we begin to speak and run people down behind their back, what we do then is we release something into the atmosphere. The Bible says uh, one, of, one of the words for the word devil is the word slanderer. Anytime you're running someone down, you have taken the devil's side. You are releasing hell into earth. You are violating your very uh, cause that God raised you in the earth for. And you cannot gossip or slander against someone without wounding yourself. You cannot. 
because you were, you're, you're malfunctioning. You're functioning against your purpose. You were raised up. We were raised up by God to bring heaven into the earth through our words, our faith, our believing, our actions, our speaking. And so when we begin to slander, run people down, we are now releasing hell into the earth. That's why in James 3 it says, the tongue is set on fire by hell. How does hell manifest? Mostly with words. Words start fights. Words start wars. Words break up relationships. Words build. Words create. There's all these things that words can do. Death and life and the power of the tongue. And so um, words have a huge effect. Deuteronomy 21, 8, uh, 1 verse 28, it says that our, Moses or Caleb is talking and uh, he says something like this. He says, My, our brethren discouraged us or made our heart to melt with their words. So when the spies, when the 12 spies went into the land, two came back and said, we can do it. God is with us. We're on. We can do it. This is bread for us. We're going to grow. The others come back and said, it's too hard. We can't do it. We're going to perish. And so what happened? The 10 spies infected the whole nation. Negativity infects people. It's so easy to take it on board. It's like a, it just spreads like a disease. And uh, yet... When we speak positive words, we can stand up and make a difference. Now, last week I shared with you some manifestations of diseases of the tongue, and one of them was lying, the other one was gossip and slander. Today, I'll pick up another one. And uh, as I've, I started out and I had the whole series all worked out, but it's changing on the way. So this one I want to share on is, is I want to speak about put-downs. Put-downs. It's a very Kiwi thing. Put-downs. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it and share with you some scriptures. I want to share with you some insight on it that may surprise you. And I want, to, I want us to become sensitive in our conscience and in our heart to any kind of words we do or things we do that put people down. Because we are moving to build people up. We're called to create. That's why you come into a prophetic seminar, you're going to get words that will lift and build people. And so we have to recognize the other. And I haven't realized... And as I say, most I'm, all this stuff's coming out of experience. Let me just give you a couple of definitions. Uh, to, uh, I looked up the, the thing, put down. The put down is literally this, to remark, it's to make a remark or speak or act. Uh, it's a remark or an action that's intended to humiliate or embarrass someone. So put down, you put someone down when you speak or do something that embarrasses them or humiliates them. Put downs. Okay, let's just define a bit further. Humiliate means you cause the person a painful loss of dignity. They feel embarrassed. They feel ashamed. They feel their respect is gone. They feel downed. Right? They become self-conscious. So a put-down. A put-down in any words or actions, words or actions, that intentionally or even sometimes don't, we don't even know we're doing it, uh, it puts a person down or it causes them to be humiliated, to feel they're shamed about who they are, and they, they lose their sense of value. They lose their sense of self They become quite embarrassed. How many have had a put-down in your life? One or two? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, the reason we get it, of course, is because the, the world's the devil's playground, and the devil's been put down. He's been put down. He wants to put everyone else down. So put-downs are a manifestation of demonic nature. Build-ups are a manifestation of divine nature. Build up, that's God at work. Put down, that's the devil at work. You and I choose whether we build up or put down, whether we bless or whether we curse. Put downs, curse people. 
Put-downs release spiritual power against that. Put-downs can eventually determine and set the direction for a person's life. Put-downs. So we're going to look at some put-downs, okay? So, and of course, it's a major thing in New Zealand culture is put-downs, the whole put-down culture. And uh, put-downs um, can take many forms. I want to just pick three forms of put-down that I felt I've had to address and deal with in my own life and that uh, you'll have to address and deal with in your own life. And there's probably other ones as well. But uh, the first ones come out of family um, dysfunction or family patterns. And, of course, they, they take place uh, in tribal groups as well. But uh, firstly, the first one I want to look at is in the area of uh, family patterns. We're going to look at it in just a moment. Now, a put-down can take many, uh, many forms, but get this. This is what it is. When, when there's a put-down takes place, inevitably, words are spoken that are, have a spiritual empowerment in them. I'll get to this in a moment, and I'll show you what the spirit is. When a person puts another one down, words are usually spoken in some kind of way that are spiritually empowered. There's a spirit carried with the words. I'll show you what it is in a moment, and what it comes out of in the heart. And uh, so the second thing is, it's the spirit, now what, get this, it's the spirit of murder. It's the spirit of murder. The Bible says hatred is as murder because murder arises when we hate people in our heart. So a spirit of murder is released against a person when you put them down. A spirit of murder, oh, well, of course, we're such sweet people, we'd never murder anyone. Not so. We murder people with our words. Let me give you a couple of verses that describe this. In Psalm 55, 21, it says, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. Okay? His words were softer than oil, but they were as drawn swords. Notice it said, it says the words, soft, smooth, but there was war in the heart, and actually when he spoke the words, they were like a sword, it cut in and hurt, and I felt it. How many people have made a comment to you, and it may be a laughing kind of comment or a joking comment, but you suddenly felt there was something in it. You want to know what was in it? Spirit of murder. And it hurt you. And if you don't do something about it, it affects you, especially if it keeps happening. Here's another verse. Psalm 64, 3. They sharpened their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. Uh-huh. So put-downs then are words, put-downs release a spirit of murder, and put-downs are a form of cursing. And the root behind it is bitterness and hatred and envy. I'll show you those roots are in the... Whenever there are put-downs, there are roots of bitterness and hate and envy. Now, because we ask ourselves, you know, what is it? have you got bitterness in your heart? Well, no, no, I don't feel, I don't feel like I have. Uh, we got hatred in your heart? No, I don't feel like I have. Got envy in your heart? I don't feel like I have. No, I feel real good. Just been praising the Lord. I feel real good. Okay, then now, let's have a look what words begin to flow. Because the words reveal what is actually festering and is in the heart. And if I find, having come to church and felt good and praised the Lord, had a wonderful time, then 10 minutes later I'm putting someone down, there's something in my heart. Something in my heart. There's bitterness. There's something not right in my heart. Because when you put people down... You, don't, you actually release a spirit of murder against them. To murder someone is to unlawfully take away their life. When you put people down, you take away their life. They don't feel better afterwards. They feel worse. Oh, yeah, you haven't 
thrown them on the ground and physically cut the head off or stabbed them to death. What you've done, put words into them that actually wound and hurt them, and then they struggle to cope with the feelings that all go with that. And we take away people's life. That's one of the most common ways that people have their life taken away is by words which put them down. Words which put them down. Remember, death and life in the power of the tongue. Now we're gonna, now, so there are three common sources of it that uh, I, I want to identify for you. The first one, as I mentioned, is family put-downs, family dynamics. And some families are full with put-downs. There are some families, the whole family, get in that environment, everyone is putting people down. It's like the whole culture of the family is filled with put-downs. And so you know then that the demon powers are at work, the family is unhealthy, it's not an environment people can grow in, and so people grow up. Well, now, now what, what does it happen? How does it work like? Well, name-calling is one way you put people down. Call them names. Uh, another way is nicknames. Some nick, most nicknames are derogatory, or many nicknames are derogatory. Uh, sometimes you find in families, uh, you find abusive words are being spoken, that, that, that people speak abusive words. And, and abusive words don't just talk about a behavior, they actually attack the person. Hey, you're stupid, you're a dummy, you're an idiot, you're a fool. That is a put down because it ridicules or it attacks the person's identity and shames them, it releases a spirit of murder against them. And then the person's got to cope with what's happened. Of course, if a father speaks words like that, the results are devastating through the whole family. Some cultures are like that. I think there's a lot of it in the New Zealand culture. My observation in teaching, and, and I'm not, I've got no issue here, but I noticed among a lot of the Maori kids, the way they spoke to one another, I have never heard such vicious put-down in my life. It, and, and what happens is, it's, it's trying to bring everyone down to the same level, or at least put someone down lower than you so you look better. And it's got a spirit of murder in it. It's violent murder. It releases violence against a person. I was astonished teaching to find how much put-down goes on in classes, how much put-down goes on in schools. And in some families, it's just the whole, that's the whole family's riddled with put-down. So people are not speaking words to encourage, bring forth dreams, bring forth destinies, identify gifts, lift up and bless. Instead, it's critical, negative, fault-finding, putting down. And when you put down, you actually attack the person and push them down so they don't stand up the way they ought to. So one, one area that's most common is in families. Some families are really good with it. Now, of course, uh, there's biblical examples for all of these things. So one, one example is Genesis 37, 4 to 5. Joseph's brothers put him down all the time. Often the youngest one is picked on by everyone. Sometimes there's a black sheep in the family and they're picked on by everyone. And that put down is actually an attack of a spirit of murder rooted in hatred and bitterness and envy. So Joseph's brothers put him down all the time. It says they couldn't speak peaceably to him. In other words, there was war. Continue, their words hurt him. And we're going to look at what it, what it does to you if you don't deal with this thing or don't know what to do with it. And uh, I want to minister on it tonight and uh, give an opportunity for you to be set free. In 1 Samuel 17, 28, David's brothers put him down. David come down because his dad said, take some food down. Now, guess it. His dad said, go down to the battle, take some food to your brothers. So he goes down there, and a liar rises up. Now, who do you think you are? What are you doing down here? I know you're naughty. You come here just because you want to see a battle. He could have said, some battle, no one's fighting. But, but understand it was a put down. 
And David turned away from it. He turned away from put-downs. He would not allow himself to be put down. He wouldn't allow himself to be devalued. We have to do something about put-downs, see? So some cultures are just absolutely full of it. Now, inevitably, at the core of put-downs is attempts to control people. At the core of a put-down is an attempt to control you. So if you have a vision and a dream and aspire to greatness, you're going to meet a world of put-downs. And the attempt is to actually control you and suppress your destiny and the dream inside. Notice Joseph was hated for two reasons. One, because his father loved him. Two, because he's had these prophetic dreams which described the destiny God had for him and that initiated the put-downs of him because of envy. You know, why did the brothers put him down? Because he was daddy's little favorite. Well, we'll show daddy's little favorite. They did. That's what they did. Gave him a hard time. Gave him a very hard time and then betrayed him. So put down. It's a terrible thing. Here's a second one. See, here's a second one. Now, this one here is one I had to really repent of one time, and I've got to watch it all the time, uh, and that is bitter humor. Bitter humor. Bitter or dark humor. And uh, I'll just describe what it is. The first thing to see is that joy is a feature of the kingdom of heaven. We saw it in the meeting. God moves. People laugh. People are happy. Joy is a part of the kingdom of God. It's a wonderful thing to be joyful. And humor is the ability to see the funny side of things. So I love people, I love funny movies, I love humorous movies, and I like to see the funny side of things. It keeps perspective in life. Some people are too intense and too serious. They do need to laugh a lot more. And the manifestation of joy is laughter. And being able to see the funny side of things is very healthy. If you don't take yourself too seriously and you can enjoy life with all the funny things that happen and the unusual interesting things that come into your life. You've got to be able to laugh at that. And I've survived many things because of an ability to laugh. However, there's another side to humor. Humor can be misused as a way of putting down. Humor can be used to ridicule people by laughing at them. That's the misuse of humor. Uh, it ridicules them. Let me just define that word ridicule because it help, helps. I've just really felt God showing me some things. Ridicule means to make fun of a person with the intention of humiliating them. Okay? Intention is there to humiliate them. It's a mocking humor. It's got a bitter edge, and you hear the laugh, but you feel put down. There's something in it. And uh, uh, I had a, a, an issue one time. I was in a pastor's conference. Remember, we did a lot of laughing there to get rid of stress and stuff. And we're all standing around, a group is there, and someone's there. And boy, he's a funny guy. Man, he's a funny guy. Friend of mine. And boy, he just joke all the time. And so he's joking all the way there. and. And uh, we're just standing around laughing away and just enjoying ourselves. And in the middle of it, I heard the Lord say, step back. And so I just stepped away from the crowd that were laughing. And then he said to me, I want you to listen. And I started to listen. And as I listened, I realized that this guy was telling jokes. And all of the jokes had one thing in common. They were putting himself down. And we were all laughing and getting involved in the humor, but the, if, you, if you analyze it, the humor was all about him being put down. And the Lord said he's got a spirit of rejection, and he's manifesting it through humor, and you're all being defiled by it, and you're joining in and carrying on putting him down. I was shocked. I went away and repented, then I went to him and I asked forgiveness, and he cried when I spoke to him. 
he hadn't even realised he was doing it. And then he told me he'd been kicked out of home by his dad. There's a deep root of rejection in his life. And the way it manifested was by this dark humour. He was laughing at himself and putting himself down. So some humour puts people down. It, there's two examples. One of them's found in Nehemiah chapter 2. And it says when they had a vision to build the house and build the house for God and build a great thing for God, it says their enemies came and mocked and laughed and ridiculed them. But they used laughter as a put-down. Uh, there's another example in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus uh, came in and there's a girl and she's lying there dead. And he said she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And they laughed and ridiculed him. This is what he did. See, this is what Nehemiah did. You cannot remain in the presence of a mocking, laughing, belittling, putting down person. You've got to do something. So what Nehemiah did says, you've got no portion with us. No way you have anything to do. In other words, he created a separation, said we're going about God's business. You know what Jesus did? He put all the mockers out. He just rejected them all, put them all out, so that he could create an atmosphere within which a miracle of life could take place. You have to put out of your life all mocking, belittling laughter that puts you down in order you can create an environment for you to be able to build things that God can come in and do creative things. Okay, then, we're getting, we must be striking home. You're all getting real quiet and looking at me like that, eh? So we all know that there's someone who's done that. We've done it ourselves. Laughed and then realized there was a bite to the, to the laugh. Now, here's the next one. You're going to like this one. It's the tall poppy syndrome. The tall poppy syndrome. I looked it up and dialed it on the internet to find out exactly what this thing is. The tall poppy syndrome. Now, have you ever seen a poppy? It's quite interesting. It's just got a long single stalk and then a flower on the top. Beautiful flower off on the top. My mum used to love these poppies. And a tall poppy then is one that stands out above all the others. So a, a tall poppy then is a person who stands head and shoulders above others because of their success or their position or their money or their, their achievements in life, a tall poppy. And the origin of the, and the tall poppy syndrome is where people take a scythe through the, through the poppy field and they cut off every top. So everything is equalized. Okay, so the tall poppy syndrome is very common. It's actually found, you look it up in the, in the, uh, in the Google it, you find it's common common in New Zealand and Australia. It's not referred to as being anywhere else in the world, just New Zealand and Australia. In fact, the Prime Minister of Australia said one of the things we need to eliminate out of our culture is this tall poppy syndrome because it stops excellence and it stops achievement. So what is the tall poppy syndrome? Well, the tall poppy syndrome is the, uh, the, the, the words and behaviors intended to cut people down who are achievers or excellent in their field in some kind of way. Now, where it originated from was this. It originated as a reaction in New Zealand and Australia to the class system of England. And particularly, the first place the tall poppy syndrome was really began to express itself was against people who thought they were more important or better than anyone else or carried on like they were, or projected, I'm better than you. And that came particularly out of the British class system. And so coming out to New Zealand, Australia, there was a strong reaction to the class system and a culture of what we call egalitarianism. Everyone is equal. It's got some really good things in that. However, 
The problem is, so what it did initially, they began to pull down and mock and laugh and belittle and pull down anyone who thought they were more important than anyone else or better than anyone else. So it started off as a reaction against the class system. Now it's evolved. Now it's a reaction usually rooted in envy against anyone who shows excellence or achievement or gets ahead in the field. And you know what the root thing that uh, drives this tall poppy syndrome is? It's envy. The root behind it is envy, bitterness and envy. I'm upset because I don't have that. Benjamin Franklin said this, you cannot strengthen a person by weakening another. You cannot add to the stature of a dwarf by cutting the legs off a giant. That's not bad, is it, eh? You can't make a dwarf taller by cutting the legs of the giant. It won't make you tall. In fact, actually, it makes you a smaller person. So you can't do this thing without it. So, of course, now, of course it's rooted in envy. Envy is wanting to possess what someone else has. So uh, uh, jealousy is a bit different. Jealousy is when you have a, a bitter feeling about someone and you, you have ill will towards them because they have something you really want or think, I should have that. I should have that. Ah, watch the tall poppy syndrome come out. Soon, words and actions to cut the person down, belittle them, scorn them, find ways to explain why they've got where they've got, except the obvious thing, which they worked harder than you did. And, uh, but but this, the, the, the interesting thing is, the tall poppy syndrome is found in the Bible. That's not referred to, but you can find it there if you understand what it is. Remember, tall poppy is a person who stands out from others because they're great achievers. They've worked hard. They excel. Financially, they've got ahead. They've risen up and achieved in sports. They've really risen up, and they've got somewhere uh, in a position somewhere. Okay, that's a tall poppy. Tall poppy syndrome is pull them down so they're equal or less than us. Not good. It absolutely promotes uh, mediocrity and lack of achievement and lack of potential and destroys dreams. It's a wicked thing. It's a wicked thing. It's a wicked evil. It's a spirit of murder that comes in the nation to try and knock people down. And Je- Jesus experienced it in Matthew chapter 15 and verse, Mark 15 verse 10, or I think it is somewhere. It says uh, that Jesus, uh, it says uh, that Pilate or Herod knew that it was envy that caused the Pharisees to hand Jesus over. You know what? They had him killed because they envied him. That's tall poppy syndrome. They, they did a dirty on him because of the tall poppy syndrome. They wanted what he had. He was popular. They wanted to be popular. He didn't seek the fame. He had it. So the tall poppy syndrome, uh, manifest, you can see it manifest. Someone gets a new car. Someone gets a promotion. Someone gets some money. Someone gets a new house. Someone gets ahead. Someone achieves. Oh, ha, ha, ha. do you think people can rise up and bless them? No, often they just kind of find, ah, oh, well, he probably stole it. Probably cheater. Well, you know, lawyers, they steal stuff. You know, they've probably ripped it off somewhere down there. See, trying to, it's all words to tear down rather than acknowledge an achiever, rather than acknowledge someone achieving. Because what I found in, 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 uh, in school teaching was I found that in some of the classes, the tall poppy syndrome is so powerful, it shapes the whole academic achievement of the class. And again, unfortunately, it was particularly so among the Maori students I taught. When one did well, all the others so abused him for doing well that the next time the test came in, he didn't do well at all. I, oh, I used to get so upset with that kind of stuff. But it's, it just is seen as it's not distinct for any culture. It's just part of issues we've got to deal with in life. How about that, eh? So how are you going to deal with the put-downs? Well, you've got to deal with the put-downs because 
with these kind of put downs and the tall poppy syndrome or or, or mocking humor or, or, you know, family put downs, all those kind of things, they wound your spirit, they impart shame so you don't like who you are and what they do is they destroy your initiative and your excellence, they shut your gifts down, that's the things they do, shut your gift down, destroy initiative and excellence. So now this is what happens when people are put down, there are two responses you can make to being put down and what you, how you respond is going to have a huge impact on your life. Tonight I want to make it possible for people to receive ministry if you've lived a life where you've been put down. Now listen to this. When a put down comes, usually there's words or humor or an attitude, and it always imparts a spirit that murders your initiative, your life, your desire, your dream, whatever, tries to hold you back down. Now, there's one of two responses. Number one response is you can receive it. And come into agreement with it. When you do that, not only do you get wounded inside, but you come into agreement with that statement. You come into agreement with a curse. And then, almost certainly, you'll start to echo it yourself and repeat it yourself and put yourself down, and then soon you'll be putting someone else down. Like, for example, I'm no value. I can never get ahead. I'll never get anywhere. I'll never achieve. I'll never amount to much. See, once we start to agree, I'm no good. There's something wrong with me. See, when we start to listen to those messages of shame that put-downs put in us and we agree with them, they become empowered to become our future. Is that what you want for your life? Is that what you want for the people around you who you love? I don't think so. We've got to get this put-down thing out of our, our system. So here's what happens. When you begin to agree with the put-down, so suppose you're in a family and there's abuse of put-down. Often it's like men putting down women. Sometimes it's women putting down men. Sometimes it's parents putting down kids. It, it goes in all of these forms, but you, you feel it. You, you feel the spirit of put-down. Something sharp goes in and wounds you. Now, here's what happens. If you come into agreement with it, you will start to interpret all of life as putting you down. You'll misinterpret everything in life, and you'll begin to interpret life's things that people are putting me down. You come into a church, you think people are putting you down. You think people don't accept you. You have all, No matter where you go, you'll have this thing working in your life. You'll interpret life that way. Someone tries to correct you and adjust you, you'll take it as a put-down. It's not a put-down. It's words spoken in love to change your life and help you fulfill your potential. So when we get into that zone, uh, man, we're really in bad shape. And we can't receive any help. We can't receive uh, any, uh, any ability to go ahead. So what we need to do is we need to actually repent. We've actually got to realize I've been agreeing with the put-downs about who I am. I need to repent of it. I need to break the power of those words. I need to forgive the people who put me down and start to bless them. And I need to renew my mind so I agree with what God says. See? He says... I'm a child of God. He says, I'm forgiven. He says, I'm something beautiful created in His image and likeness. He says, I'm an ambassador. He says, I'm a gift to this world. He says, I have something to do that can change life. God says these things about me. I'm agreeing with what God says about me. I don't care what you say about me. I'm believing what God says about me. See, unless you start to agree with what God's saying, you'll agree with the put-downs. See, God is a builder-upper, but the devil is a putter-downer. You agree with the put-downs, you allow the spirits from hell to dominate you, and soon you'll join the ranks of people putting people down. 
So we have two options. One, we could receive it, in which case if you've received these things and come into agreement with you, you've got to cancel their power, break those agreements, change the meditation of your heart to agree with God. See? And the, second, the other thing is that when people do try and put you down, you've got to do something. Jesus walked away from it. Joseph walked away from it. Nehemiah told him, you don't have any part to do with me. I will not be part of a mocking, jeering, ridiculing, putting down environment. Because it breeds a spirit of murder. And that's not what I want to create around me. So the only way to stop that is to do something about it. You've got to stand up and speak out and stop it. So if you're in that situation, begin to start to speak God's words. Remove yourself from an environment, if it's at all possible, where it's negative and putting down or confronted if it's possible, or if not, trust God to help you walk through it till that season is over, and use it as an opportunity to grow character and excellence in your life. The pursuit of excellence is the pursuit of God's dream that we would rise to our greatest potential, and ahead of us, between us and that dream, as a culture of people that want to put you down. And you've got to decide, I will not be in agreement with the put it down us. I will not be agreement with that spirit of murder. I will not manifest that spirit of murder. But I will speak words that build. Philemon verse 6 says this. The communication or imparting of faith is effectual when you acknowledge every good thing in you in Christ. We have to learn to acknowledge the good. Acknowledge the things God's put in us. Acknowledge what God's put in others. Speak words that impart grace and build and empower and lift and not be part of a culture that's a put-down culture. You start to excel in an area, someone will say, who do you think you are? Well, I think I'm a child of God called with a destiny to excel and do my best. Who are you? You have to get something in you that rises up and no longer will be put down, no longer will accept that spirit of murder, but rises up and challenges it. We have to do it. We have to do it. In order for us to flow prophetically, in order for us to begin to release in the atmosphere around our lives what God wants to release, we have to get rid of this put-down thing that gets around our life. If you're in agreement with it, today decide, I will disagree. I will disagree with those words that cursed me, those words that stole my life, those words that wounded me, those words that said I couldn't be anything, I couldn't do anything. I will disagree because there's nothing impossible to him that believes God. I will believe God and what God says about me. I will believe his plan for my life. I will believe his words because his words are life for me. Friends, you've got to get that into your spirit. There's no place for neutrality. No place to be passive and neutral. You have to make a stand in this area about words and the power of words to create an atmosphere and environment which releases the supernatural and activates your potential. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? Yes, yeah, so come on, let's give Jesus a great clap. This is how Jesus speaks. Your name's Simon, but I'm telling you something. I'm calling you rock. I'm calling you a rock because I'm going to build something great upon you that will touch generations. That's how God talks. 
So people say all kinds of stuff about you, but it's what God says about you. If you will believe that and stand up and confess it, then heaven will come to your help and you will fulfill the dream God has for you. Come on, let's stand and give the Lord a clap. Who are you? I'm Abram. No, you're not. You're Abraham, the father of nations. Who are you? Well, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm the least of my family. You're a mighty warrior. He'll change a nation. Come on. You've got to get it. You've got to get it in your spirit. That's how God talks. That's how God talks. The devil talks a different way. God talks that way. He talks that way. you got it in you. You're a winner. You're a winner. You can win in life. Thanks be to God who always, in all things, causes us to be winners and triumph in Christ. Come on, let's give the Lord a great clap.